Over the last several months, we've been working our way through Philippians, and we've heard that we are called to be gospel citizens. And we've seen that this last couple of weeks, we're not only supposed to be gospel citizens by ourselves, but we are called to be gospel citizens together. Our church, people uh, that are Jesus people, Christians, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel with one another. And all that sounds really good. Right? Being a gospel citizen, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. It sounds good being Jesus people, but it's hard. Why? Because life's hard. And I have four D's of why life is hard. Because of the difficulties, whether it's health or work or family. Um, difficulties of life flood us. There's disappointments. Uh, oftentimes we can be disappointed in God. We can say, God, I was praying to you and you didn't deliver. We become disappointed in him or we become disappointed in other Christians. Lord, have you seen those people? They don't get it. They don't follow you like I do or like they should. And so we grow disappointed. There's also distractions. Man, does the world have distractions. Media. Media has taken on a whole new form, right, with social media and all that that means. Television. Even sometimes radio can provide a distraction for us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Also, our busy schedules. Friends, we are busy people. We have things on our schedule 24-7, it seems like. So much so that we just strive to get enough sleep. Distractions. And then finally, we have desires. Sometimes we don't want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel because, quite frankly, we have our fleshly desires. We, we want what we want. And what we want doesn't always please God. So, <laughs> these difficulties and disappointments and distractions and desires all make living a life as a gospel citizen really hard. But how can those of us who have been saved by the grace and uh, been saved by the grace and the work of Jesus Christ, and who have the Holy Spirit residing in us, those of us who Philippians tells us Christ has made His own, how can we combat these things and live as gospel citizens? Well, our passage today shows us seven commands of how we are to live as gospel citizens and combat our difficulties and disappointments and distractions and desires so that you and I can live for Jesus. Let's read, starting in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, 
and the God of peace will be with you. Last week, our big idea of our text was y'all are called to be gospel citizens. And intentionally, y'all, because it's plural. So if you're from the South, all y'all are called to be gospel citizens. But how can we be gospel citizens? That's the natural question that we're going to have. And thankfully, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes down seven commands in our text today of how you and I are to be gospel citizens. So the question as we walk through this that you need to be thinking is, how can I, fill in the blank of your name, so for me it's Chase, how can, how can Chase live as a gospel citizen? How can you live as a gospel citizen? Now I do want to note that verses 4 through 9, like our other passages before, are connected to Philippians 1.27. Right, Philippians 1.27 is the very first command in Philippians, and it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so we're, we're to have lives that are worthy of the gospel. And, and then it's also tied to this section in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, where Paul said, therefore, my beloved, have you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean we work for our salvation? No. But it means if we are saved, we're going to be working. We're going to be honoring the Lord because we love him. As verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God has saved us and he's working in us so that we can love him and be gospel citizens, be Jesus people. But how can you and I be Jesus people? How can you and I be gospel citizens? It's difficult. <laughs> but the first command that we receive from Paul is a, not a new command, not even new to, to this book, but we're called to rejoice. You and I are called to rejoice. Seriously, rejoice. Paul's trying to emphasize that. If you don't know anything about Philippians, there's, there's one big idea that goes throughout the whole book, and is that you and I are called to rejoice in the Lord. You and I are called to rejoice in the Lord. That's like the, the really big, simple idea of Philippians. And Paul has already told them to rejoice in the Lord several times. He's talked about their joy. He talks about uh, their joy six times before this, and Chapter 1, verse 18, and 2.17, and 2.18, and 2.28. And then the start of chapter 3, verse 1, he said this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And now he reminds us again. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And now some of you have that little children's song, right, where you sing in the part, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and you just keep singing it, right, again and again and again, and then, then it's like annoying and you're not rejoicing anymore, right? But we have that in our heads. Paul is adamant here that you and I as gospel people, as Jesus people, are to be people of joy. And unfortunately, the world knows Christians not so much for being joyful people, but for being Sourpusses. Looks like we have some nasty candy in our mouth. We walk around. But you and I, you and I are called to be joyful. We talked about this in 3.1. Why can we be joyful in this world? How can we be joyful in this world? How, do you know what this world is like? 
Yes, I know what this world is like. I live in this world too. This world's hard. You and I, we face disease. You and I, we face loved ones with cancer. Or you may have cancer. You and I, we, we face wayward children. You and I, we, we face losing jobs. There's a lot more that we face in this world. So how in the world are you and I, as gospel citizens, how are we able to rejoice? We can rejoice. Because Paul's not talking about be happy. Good vibes only. What Paul is talking about is a joy rooted in something beyond us. What Paul's talking about is joy that, like a big oak tree, is rooted firmly in the soil of God. You see, what the Bible tells us is that our God is seated in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That our God is eternally God. He's the redeeming God. That our God has sent his son Jesus Christ to die a or to live a perfect life for us, to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again on the third day. Our God is that God who's offering salvation for us, and our God doesn't change. The world, the circumstances around us, all those things, they change all the time. My emotions change all the time. And I've never been a teenage girl, but I hear teenage girls' emotions change all the time. I have three-year-old girls, and their emotions change all the time. Life is a lot like jello, but our God is not. And so we're not called to just be happy. We're not, not called just to, just, hey, just chip her up, guy. Look on the sunny side. No, 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 no. You and I are called to have a deep joy rooted in the Lord. Just like 3 1 says, rejoice in the Lord. Our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It's not just mustered up like, oh, I'm having the worst day of my life. Rejoice. No, it's having joy in who our God is and what He's done. So that's how you and I can have hope in the midst of disease or death or cancer or depression. In the battles of this life, we might even be losing. But if we have Christ, he's won our victory. And so guess what? You and I, we can rejoice. And so actually, the very first two commands, I told you there's seven commands. The first two commands are found in verse 4, and they're the exact same commands. Rejoice. Paul is adamant. People, if we are Jesus' people, we are called to rejoice. And just think about the day and age in which we live. Nobody's happy. Everybody is unhappy. Everybody's complaining. Whether it's political stuff over here, world things over here, whether it's inflation here, whether it's fill in the blanks. We know what's going on in our world, and we know people are incredibly mad all the time. You and I aren't called to be mad. You and I aren't called to just be happy. Just walk around. Oh, we're just happy. No, we're called to be joyful. 
Like the world could be coming to an end and you and I are called to be joyful because it says always, always. And rejoicing in the Lord is difficult when you're walking with a loved one who's dying. How do you have joy? You can't have joy in that circumstance. The Lord's not asking us to have joy in in the fallen condition of this world. He's not asking us to have joy in in the results of of sin crumbling, death crumbling, our lives. But what he is asking us to do is having to what he is asking us to do is to have joy, defiant joy amidst this world and all the distractions and disease and depression. Because our God reigns. And we can have hope and joy in Him. So you and I are called to rejoice always. You want to be Jesus' people? Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Not only are you and I called to rejoice, but you're called to show the gentleness of Christ to all people. If you want to be a gospel person, you want to be a Jesus person, you're called to show the gentleness of Christ Now, verse 5 says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's what the ESV says. Some of your translations are going to say gentleness. I think that's a little bit better uh, translation there. And and this idea for gentleness, this Greek word that's translated here, means to diffuse conflict and bring restoration. And in context of what Paul's written in Philippians, that makes sense because you have those two ladies whose names are really hard to pronounce, right? In verse 2, Eodia and Syntyche, they didn't like each other. But now he says, hey, if you're going to be gospel people, you need to like, diffuse the situation here. You need to restore the relationship here. We're called to show our gentleness. But not just to people inside the church. Our gentleness is to be known to all people. Yeah, that guy. The one that you're thinking of. Not, not him. Yeah, him. Her. You, you see, as Jesus people, we've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now you and I are able to live lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, which means that you and I extend grace to even people who don't deserve it. Yay! And so that means even in easy situations, like gathering around a Thanksgiving table with family that just agrees about everything, like politically and about vaccinations and everything else, like when you gather around that table and you all agree about everything, you're called to show gentleness. There's a tongue-in-cheek there. I don't know of anybody's families that agree about everything, let alone everything that's going on right now. But your, your situation, your very present situation this week, sometime you're probably going to sit down to eat turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing and pie and all that good stuff with people that are going to rub you the wrong way. And you, dear friends, as Jesus people, as gospel people, guess what you're called to do? You're called to let your gentleness be known to everyone. You're called to diffuse situations and to restore relationships. And how can we do that apart from who our God is? Now, this gentleness doesn't mean that you you just say, well, truth doesn't matter. Everybody just love peace and chicken grease. We're all good. (laughs) What, 
what we're called to do, friends, is we're called to stand on truth. Our God cares about truth. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, that he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes at the Father but through me. Jesus said he was truth. Then later on in John 14, in John 14, verse 17, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Do you think our God cares about truth? Yeah. He absolutely cares about truth. But as we care about truth, it doesn't mean that when we're, we're to be gentle towards all people, it doesn't mean that we brandish truth like a gun in a hostage situation. Just bust it upside people's heads and, this is the truth! No. Our, our truth is to come with grace. Our truth is to come with gentleness. Our gentleness should be like honey, sweet, and it should be firm, like a mountain, unmoving. That's the gentleness that it's talking about right here. And that gentleness needs to be accompanied by listening. You know, one another greatest way to diffuse or restore a relationship is by listening. And people can be dead wrong, but listening goes a long way. Because what listening does is it allows them to get their heart out. And then once they get their heart out, most people will allow you to speak your peace. And if you and I, if you and I have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens is our heart is a heart of grace. Our heart is a heart of truth. Our heart is a heart like Jesus. And if there's anyone who could sit at your Thanksgiving table and love everybody, even your weird uncle, it's Jesus. But friends, you and I, as Scripture tells us, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You and I are representations of Christ. And so as, as we sit at our tables and as we have family that's frustrating and friends that we're like, why are we friends with these people again? You know what? Let your gentleness be known to everyone, to all people. And why? Why should we do that? Yes, because the gospel hope is present in us, but the, the verse 5 says, the Lord is at hand. And what does that mean, the Lord is at hand? Does it mean that Jesus is coming back soon, or does it mean that, that Jesus is dwelling in us, or, or does it mean both? I think Paul is ambiguous there on purpose. Jesus is dwelling in us. Jesus is coming back soon. And so there's an urgency for you and I to live in a way that the world doesn't live. There's an urgency for you and I to live in a manner worthy of the gospel so that other people will hear and see the gentleness of our affections towards other people. And we can say, it's only because of Jesus. But we struggle with gentleness. And we, other, we struggle with other aspects of living for Christ because of what Paul mentions next. Anxiety! Anybody want to talk about anxiety? Too bad. Okay. You as gospel citizens can't be anxious about anything. 
Anxiety has become the acceptable sin of the 21st century. Another word for anxiety, and some of your translations might translate this, is worry. Worry. You see, immediately when we talk about anxiety or worry, we say, well, hold on, hold on. There are legitimate anxieties in this life. No, there's not. There's legitimate concerns in this life. And there's a difference between concerns and there's a difference between concerns and worry. You see, uh, it's right to be concerned about your child. To not want your child to be sick is a good concern. Actually, if you have a child, you should not want your child to be sick. That's biblical. That's loving your family as Christ would love your family. Uh, You should care about the things of this world. You should care. You should have concern about people knowing Jesus. After all, we have a great commission where Jesus says to go into all the nations of the world and make disciples. That should be a concern of yours. But what we are not called to do is we're not called as gospel citizens to worry. Oh boy. Who doesn't worry? Who doesn't have anxiety, at least in part? I know I do. But worry... Anxiety, that, my friends, is sin. And Paul says, do not be anxious about, fill in the blank, anything. And unfortunately for us, anything includes everything. So even that, that, that one thing that you're like, I, I really should be worried about this. No, no. You can be concerned about it. You can't worry about it. You can't be anxious about it. Why do we love anxiety? Why do we love being anxious people? Why do we love to worry even though we admit, we say, "Ah, I don't like to worry, but we we do. And sometimes when there's nothing to worry about, we're worried sick about it, right? (laughs) Why? Because on one hand, We love the idea that we have control over our circumstances, that we have control over life. And so we we worry because, oh, I have to control this situation. Oh, I I need to make sure that my, my family doesn't get sick. None of us want sick family. That's a good concern to have. But then we we take it a step further. We I I have to control this situation. We can't. Well, maybe we can control the timing. So, so I remember uh, it was three Thanksgivings ago. It was the worst Thanksgiving ever for me. I've mentioned it before. I had a norovirus, stomach bug. It was awful. And I don't know anyone in the world who loves stomach bugs. Like, yeah, sign me up. Nobody likes that. Is it a sin to not want to get sick with the stomach? No. It's actually a good thing. But what is a sin is worrying about it. And so then we, we worry about it and we think, well, you know, this week is really not a good week. So next week we don't have a lot going on, so then maybe we can be sick next week. Well, what happens? You get sick in the week that you, you have a lot going on. We think on one hand we have control over all things and so we grow anxious. And then on the other hand... We realize we can't control everything, and so we grow anxious. Life's too big. 
Life's too messy. We can't control it. And it, and, and it starts coming at us. Like the old classic line that, um, or the old classic television show, I Love Lucy. Some of you seen that? She goes into the chocolate factory, right? And at first it's real easy and she's putting the chocolates together. Everything's fine, but it speeds up and she can't handle it. And it's, it's some of the best television you'll ever see. And she's stuffing it in her mouth and her cheeks are big and she's just trying to do all sorts of stuff. And I mean, it goes on and on. But that's us with life. That conveyor belt just keeps going and we can't handle it. And so what happens? We start to worry. And the Bible says, if you want to be a gospel citizen, if you want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, if you want to follow Jesus, do not be anxious about anything. How can we do that? That's like someone telling you not to panic. That's usually the worst statement ever because if someone says, don't panic, that's actually when you need to panic, right? Paul's not doing that to us, though. He's not saying, don't panic, and just leaves it at that. Look at the rest of verse 6. This is our, this is our command. Not only are we not to be anxious about anything, but as gospel citizens, you and I are to pray in everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We actually are not just told, don't do that. We're, call, we're called to do this. What are we called to do? To pray and everything. The good news is, there's a mirror here. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, you can pray. In everything, you and I, as gospel citizens, are children of the God of the universe. The God of the universe who created all things and is the Redeemer God. He loves you and I. If one of my children comes to me and they have a request, they come up to me, and it doesn't matter how bad of a day they've had, right? They, 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 they could be rotten. They come up to me, they have an audience with me. I'm going to hear them. I'm going to listen to them. You know why? Because I love them. And our God loves us. And he knows that we live on this earth, and he knows how hard it is. Jesus lived on earth. He knows how hard it is. He was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus knew pain. Jesus knew how hard it was to walk this world. And guess what? He cares about you. He loves you. And so you and I are not called to worry about anything, but in everything to pray. Prayer and supplication, maybe some of your translations say petition. I just, Paul's really trying to emphasize you need to pray. Petition is a real quick prayer, an earnest prayer. Those are like the real short ones. Lord, help me. We're, we're called to pray about everything. But it's not just praying about everything. It's called worship. Did you see? It's prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And we celebrate Thanksgiving this week. So what a time to be alive. We're talking about it in church too, right? But Thanksgiving isn't just about turkeys. In fact, it actually has nothing to do with turkeys. Thanksgiving is about worship. 
Thanksgiving is about knowing who our God is, that he's the provider of all things. He's the sustainer of all things, that our God is seated on his throne and he's able to do whatever he pleases, that whatever will glorify him, we're able to bring it to him. And so in the worst of circumstances, we can pray to him and worship him. That's amazing. Let me tell you about my week. You think I'm up here, oh, he has a nice little jacket on, and you know, he's preaching, and he, he's, the, he's the pastor, so of course he's going to say all these things, and he doesn't, he doesn't live in real life. Well, for those of you who don't know, I don't sleep here. I don't stay here. I do have other life. In my life this week, I uh, had a cold early on in the week, and Wednesday, I was like, oh, man, I just wasn't feeling well. So I was, I was homesick. Okay. No one likes to be sick. Okay. I'm feeling great now. Then uh, on Thursday, found out our furnace is shot. And so then, praise the Lord, I have uh, in-laws that live about an hour away, but we're traveling back and forth. And then um, we came back Friday, and we talked to the guy, and he said, well, because of the supply chain issues, we're not quite able to get a furnace, so he can give us a time frame on it. He's like, I have these heaters, though, for you, so here's the heaters, and now I'm a, I'm a worried mess. Heaters can cause fires. <laughs> I don't want my kids sleeping where there could be fires, right? And, like, you know, I'm setting this up and putting a cookie sheet underneath it so it doesn't set the carpet on fire and all this. You know, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. And they're super safe heaters, okay? And our, and our house is actually warm because of the heaters. But it's like, man, Lord, did you really have to allow me to preach this text this week? Because I really just want to worry. I don't want to rejoice always right now this week, Lord. And on top of all that, I had all this other work I had to get done, but I'm traveling back and forth. and That's my life. I, I, I'm not, I don't think the Lord allows me to preach a text without like kind of going through it usually <laughs> or understanding it. And boy, do I understand this text. The Lord put it underneath my skin and into my heart this week that we are called to rejoice always. We're, we're called to be gentle with everyone even when they say, don't know when the furnace is going to end. It's like, ah. Pray, not be anxious. The beautiful thing about prayer is the one promise in our text this morning. When we pray and when we worship the Lord, verse 7 happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, you struggle with worry? Good. You're a human. But as we struggle with worry, we're called to Shove that aside. We can have legitimate concerns, but shove the worry aside. That's sin. We're called to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we receive this promise in verse 7, that the peace of the God of the universe is going to guard our minds and our hearts. He loves us. He wants us to have peace in him. It's like, it's like that feeling when you're driving on a dark night when you're a child, right? And maybe some of you have had this experience as well when your, your dad's driving 
It's pitch black outside, and you look out, and, and it's just like, man, it's cold, it's dark. I don't want to fall out of the car right now. I would have no idea where I am. And your dad's driving. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing. And, and then you, you kind of aren't fully asleep yet, but you kind of just barely shut your eyes because so, you're little and your dad still carries you. So he's like, I just want to carry me to bed. <laughs> don't want to walk. And your dad loves you and he picks you up, takes you upstairs, puts you in your bed. I do that with my kids. I love my kids so much. I care about my kids. I want the best for my kids. That promise of God is that when we approach him with the worries and the frustrations of this life and we lay them down and we say, Lord, there's a whole bunch of junk going on in my life. There's a whole bunch of reasons that I should be worried, but I'm not going to be worried because I'm going to remember who you are. He promises the peace that surpasses all understanding his peace will guard our hearts and our minds. That's a promise worth having, worth remembering. That's a promise for you and I as gospel citizens that we have. So then, not only are we to pray in all things, but you and I are called as gospel citizens to have a mindset change. Our mindset must change. And we look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I could do a whole sermon or a whole sermon series on just this verse. But look at what he says at the end. He says, think about these things. Let your mind dwell on these things. Live here. That means the opposite is true. When it says uh, this, the virtue of truth, right? Whatever's true, we're not to think about things that are false. We're not supposed to let our minds go there. We do all the time. Allowing our minds to dwell on these godly virtues will allow us to have a demeanor of joy because we'll be really focusing on Jesus. Christ is all those things. So whatever is true, Christ is truth. But God's truth is truth. And um, I, could, I could go into some apologetic stuff right now, but time is elusive. Truth is under attack in our day and age. There's people that define truth as my truth, your truth, their truth, whatever truth you want. But there's definitive truth. And that definitive truth is what you and I are called to dwell on. Whatever's honorable. Our, our thoughts need to be towards the affections of honorable things and people. Whatever's just. Uh, my... My professor, Dr. Harmon, wrote this in his com very good commentary on Philippians about what is just. While the Christian respects all duly responsible forms of government, his concepts of justice and law are informed by God's word. Gospel citizens must dwell on God's eternal and unchanging values 
which we see rooted in his very character. You want justice? A lot of people are crying out for justice in this world. Justice is rooted in the very heart of God. Whatever's pure, unstained or polluted. You know, and, and again, it's the opposite. So like, what are you filling your mind with? You watching junk movies? You listening to trash music? Your internet searches filthy? Right? That idea. Whatever's pure. Whatever's lovely. That's pleasing or dear. Um, there was an ancient text of um, an empress. Her husband passed. And the new emperor, she wrote, was lovely to her. He was kind. Whatever's commendable. That's respect. Are there things earning your respect? If there's any excellence, we know what excellence is, and we know what excellence is not. If there's anything worthy of praise, admiration or approval, all these things are actually pretty simple. I didn't spend a ton of time on them. I didn't have a whole sermon on them. Why? Because we know what this is. It's the application part that gets us. It's the application of letting our mind dwell on these things. And so maybe uh, it says things, plural. So it's, it's not just saying Christ. But maybe you're in a panic moment. Maybe you're like, I don't know where to put my mind. Think about Christ. Apply Christ to your scenario. Think about how, what would Jesus do? I actually think that's a wonderful question. People used to have those bracelets all over the place, right? What would Jesus do? Who is Jesus? How does Jesus love me? How does Jesus love the Father? What did Jesus do? Being gospel citizens mean that we're applying the gospel to all areas of life. So, the final command is this. You must practice truth. If you want to be a gospel citizen, you must put it in play. And, and, and that's, that's the thing. You, you can know what to do. You can know all the right things in your head. You, you can go, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to worry I know I'm supposed to pray. I know I'm supposed to rejoice. I know I'm supposed to let my mind just dwell on all these good things. But we're to practice it. We're to emulate it. We're to find others who are living in a manner worthy of the gospel and follow them. Here again, Paul is talking about discipleship. Right? In verse 9, what have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. When we, when we have discipleship relationships, you need to be paired with somebody that you're saying, man, they are walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, and I need to be like them. doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect. No one is perfect other than Christ. But as you see Christ working in someone's heart, and you see someone, like maybe you struggle with worry, and you see someone that's like, man, they're like never worried, but it's not like a, a stupid never worried, like they just don't know what's going on. Like they have legitimate concerns but they never worry. They're always in prayer. That's a person that you need to be around. You need to talk to. You need to emulate so that you can grow towards Christ. So friends, you've learned a lot of commands for you to partake in as gospel citizens. And, and I ask you to ask the question, how can you live as a gospel citizen? Um, 
there's one among us right now who's, who's walking through that. And I, I want to give my friend Vincent an opportunity to tell you how he's trying to live out Philippians 4, 4 through 9 in his life as uh, he's recently gone through some, some stuff. So Vincent, if you come on up. Come on up. Hi. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Uh, well, real quick, some of you know this, some of you don't know us very well, but we moved out to Fort Wayne about three years ago, and I'm getting over cold, so there's emotion in my voice and sickness, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, we had just moved all our stuff out and came, I was driving back, my mom had gone for some tests just because she wasn't feeling well. And on Thanksgiving, we found out she had stage four pancreatic cancer. Uh, yeah, so that was three years ago. Thanksgivings are pretty bad Thanksgivings <laughs> as far as being tested. Um, so the whole process, medically, I had this image of um, an airplane, an old like World War II airplane in the middle of the ocean and the gas is out, <laughs> that was kind of the prognosis. It's like, it's not going down this second, but there's, I think it was a 3% chance of making it past two years. Um, so the whole time, we are praying for healing, and I felt like praying for a random island to appear in the middle of the ocean. Um, so worldly speaking, there was really just no hope. The hope was buying time, and there was, some huge blessings in that, that God was, gave her much more time than we thought. But looking at that, it was quite literally like, okay, the plane hasn't crashed yet. Maybe she'll make it to the next kid's birthday, the next Christmas, the next birth. And that was a blessing, but it was um, a test for all family. There was very little happiness over the last couple of years. Like, there's still joy in kids' births or happiness in kids' births. But being able to see the very clear difference between God providing joy and in the absence of the emotion of happiness was uh, a huge blessing, but it's, it's hard. So this verse, I always like this, this passage, but God used it in an amazing way because it was like a light switch where um, I was not happy or rejoicing, anxiety about all kinds of stuff, and also too just like um, no peace. And then I'd read the passage and pray, and it, it would just switch. And that was a, a big blessing, because before some of the smaller struggles of life f that weren't facing death, um, there's some more bootstrap ability to just like, yeah, we're fine, we're rejoicing, I'm not being that anxious. But there was nothing in the situation aside for a miracle that had any real uh, earthly hope. My mom passed uh, five weeks ago. And one of the most amazing things about that time was as I was driving to um, the first time when she was admitted to the hospital with things not going well, I was just praying for God's grace, like, you know, it's going to be sufficient. So I was just praying for God's grace to be sufficient. And in my mind, I was praying that I wouldn't um, fall apart or get angry. Essentially, my, my bar was pretty low. It's like, just hold me together so I can support my family and my, my kids. But as she was dying, and my mom loved the Lord. She's a strong believer. And even as she was essentially facing death within hours, she was 
joyful. <clears throat> she was ready to die because she knew where she was going. And when she did pass, the, uh, the sadness was there, the tears were there, tears were there. But we actually we rejoiced, um, which you know you're supposed to rejoice when a believer goes to see God. But God's grace wasn't just sufficient in that, like we didn't start cursing God or get discouraged. It was sufficient in that we were reminded of uh, what our hope is, <laughs> where she is now, and where we're going. So, should I wrap it up? Um, <laughs> but uh, the the three years of leaning on God and having times of not rejoicing and times of rejoicing. And it only was when we focused on eternity that the rejoicing was there. And thankfully, there, that was often. But just not feeling the pressure to be um, happy or grit your teeth and move forward with the earthly situation, but to actually be able to rejoice because there, is no, there was no rejoicing in her, in her health. There was no rejoicing in her cancer in the, that it would not be painful, not be a sorrowful loss, but there was abundant rejoicing that the Lord had saved her, that she <laughs> was not uh, fearful of, of her salvation, and then also all of us kids are following the Lord too, so it was just an amazing amount of reflection on that we have only have hope in eternity, and hope in this world can be taken away quickly, and that it's uh, yeah, I just, it was a blessing in that to see the joy and rejoicing that comes from eternity. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing, by the yeah. way. And uh, we're family here. And remember, last week we said, y'all are called to be gospel citizens, right? And then this week, we're, we're called how we can be gospel citizens. One of the ways we're a gospel citizen by praying for one another. So, so that, that prayer is not just for us and our anxieties and our worries, but it's for our family. The Boy Baptist Church, we are a family. And, and this, is, this is one of our brothers who um, still going through it. I mean, you even told me on Tuesday, like, grief is weird, right? Yeah. yeah. And so we need to make sure that we are lifting up him and Carrie and, and the kids. But Together, we can walk through rejoicing the Lord always, and in season, out of season, bringing all that to the Lord in prayer. I really appreciate you sharing that, and I'm going to pray for you, and then uh, we'll have the music team come up as well. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for your word and your gospel and your truth. Lord, thank you for my brother Vincent here, just willing to share just what his life has been like over the last three years and even the last five weeks. And Lord, we live in this world where there's death, where there's disease, where there's heartache, Lord, of all sorts. And yet, Lord, you, you command us in Philippians to rejoice always. And you command us in Philippians to not be worried about anything, but to, to pray and to worship. And to not let our minds dwell on, on fallen, sinful things, but to have our minds focused on godly virtues. And Lord, it's hard for us. But we really need that peace that you promise. And so Lord, I do pray for that peace for Vincent and Carrie and their kids. I pray as a church body that we can love them and, and just help them, encourage them. 
that those who have lost parents before might be able to be an encouragement to him. And, uh, Lord, I, I, I pray that, that we would, as a body, not just love the sins and nicks, but love each other. That, Lord, together that we would have that peace that surpasses all understanding because we need that for this life, Lord. And we thank you for the hope that we do have in the gospel. The, the joy that we can have rooted in Christ and who he is and what he's done. We thank you, Jesus, so much for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.